Let me just tell you before I begin my talk tonight, I really am going to bring you one more talk in the Jesus Life series. I only intended to bring two messages on love, but the more I study the book of 1 John, the more I realize that love is indeed the Jesus life, and we wound up having a third message, and I've got to move on to another topic this weekend. I'm going to be talking about what do you do when you fail in living the Jesus life. And it's wonderful to know what, what, that, that we're not kicked out when we fail to live the Jesus life. But we're going to be looking at what we need to, to know about that and what we need to do. And it's going to be a really important time together. But there are just some leftover things that I want to talk to you about in regard to love. Because if love is everything, and we've seen that it is, and we're going to see it again tonight, then our whole life can be measured by how much love we have for God, for our neighbors, and for our Christian brothers and sisters. I will just tell you this, and I know that some of you are teachers, Bible teachers. If you ever find yourself teaching on love, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you just, there's just so much more to say, and there's so, more, so much more you wish you could say. You get on the subject of God's love, and it is truly inexhaustible. There was an, an atheist back in the 19th century, turn of the 20th, uh, Bob Ingersoll, noted atheist, and he used to draw big crowds of people, and he would have a stopwatch, and he would stand up there and say, I give God 60 seconds to strike me dead. And of course, 60 seconds would pass, the crowd would ooh and ah. The old preacher turned away, and he said, how dare Bob Ingersoll think that he can exhaust the patience of Almighty God in 60 seconds? And that's a good question, because indeed, the love of God is very, very big. But tonight, I just want to bring you back and maybe uh, give you an encapsule with some real practical help on this thing of love. Um, we have been talking about the Jesus life, and of course, the Jesus life is just a matter of following Jesus. Uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he didn't say, join my, join my church. He didn't say, join my band, join my group, join my denomination. He said, follow me, right? I mean, he said, follow me over and over. I mean, he said, follow me to people who didn't follow him. Um, that was what he said, follow him. And today, even though 2,000 years has passed, I don't think God's changed his program. I don't think Jesus, in fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I believe today Jesus is still asking women and men, boys and girls to follow him. So that's the thing. Look at this. This is in Matthew 16, verse 24, if it's up on the IMAX screens. In verse 24, he says, follow me. And then in verse 25, he said, whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, if you just look at that and look at the logical conclusion of those statements as Jesus is saying, if you will follow me, you will find your life. Now, that's what's, what's interesting to me is that we start out talking about the Jesus life, Jesus saying, follow me, and we end up by talking about your life. Don't you find that interesting? Jesus is saying, follow me, live the Jesus life, and you will discover your life. The irony is a lot of people don't follow Jesus because they feel like they would lose their life if they followed Jesus. There are a couple, there are two or three guys, you remember, who wanted to go with Jesus, and one of them said, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Um, and, and, but he had many possessions and he didn't follow Jesus. And then there was a man who said, I will follow you, but let me wait until all my relatives agree with this. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't. But in each case, they were each afraid of some aspect or all of their lives being lost in Jesus. And yet Jesus is saying, whoever follows him will find his life. Um, I didn't watch any of the Oscars this week. But I know that when I check in with celebrities, a lot of times I want to tell them, get a life. 
you know, whether we're talking about sports or entertainment. I mean, it is amazing to me. I, 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 I walked through, had to go to Dylan's just a few minutes ago and walk through the checkout lane. There's all the magazines about celebrities, and most of them, it's about the crises and the foolishness that they're in. Well, I'm not blaming them, not picking on them. It's just that America and our, our affluent Western culture needs to figure out at some point that the more selfish we are, the more we don't have a life. And yet Jesus is saying, if we follow him, not only will we live the Jesus life, we will discover our life. Now, what we've been learning for the last three weeks on the weekend is that the Jesus life, if you follow Jesus, the one thing that will be inescapable is that your life will be manifested by love. The thing about following Jesus is that you will always wind up in love. I mean, Jesus said, or the Bible says of Jesus in John 1, 14, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So there's no doubt where Jesus is going. Jesus is always going to love. When you look at the stories in the Bible, Jesus went straight to love, whether it was the Samaritan woman and it required a trip for him as a Jew to go to a place that Jews didn't normally go, he would go straight to her. Whether it was the thief on the cross who had no idea that he had any hope until he turned to Jesus, whether it was Jesus forgiving the woman that we talked about in John 8 who was caught in the very act of adultery, whether it was Jesus being patient with his disciples, whether it was Jesus holding children in his lap and blessing them and praying over them. When you look at the life of Jesus, he's always, so where is Jesus going? He's always going to love. Now, the reason I say that tonight, it's really important for us to get this. You will never follow Jesus to hate. If you wind up in hate, you didn't get there following Jesus. You will never follow Jesus to racism. If you're in racism tonight of any kind, you didn't follow Jesus there. You will never follow Jesus to lose your temper. You will never follow Jesus to rage. Jesus is never going to rage. If you got to rage, then you didn't get there following Jesus. You will never follow Jesus to grudges. If there's somebody you can't forgive tonight, if there's somebody that you're holding a grudge against this evening, you, you may be there, but you didn't follow Jesus there because Jesus wasn't going there. We may have been going there, but we didn't get there following Jesus. If you are wanting to get even with somebody tonight, vengeance, you may be there, but you didn't follow Jesus there. I say all that to ask you a question tonight, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this in my own life tonight. Where are you tonight? I mean, you don't need to tell me. It's just between you and God, but where are you this evening? Where does, where does this day find you? And I think all of us need to look at where we are spiritually and ask the question, did I follow Jesus here? If we're in sin, we didn't follow Jesus here. If we're in anger, we didn't follow Jesus here. If I'm pouting and whining, I didn't follow Jesus here. If I can't focus my attention on God because I'm so busy with all kinds of electronic devices, I didn't follow Jesus here. I, I may be here, but I didn't follow Jesus here. Well, tonight, I just want to one more time look at what the Jesus life is. And we 
discovered it over and over the last three weeks. So I won't spend a long time here this evening, but basically it is love for God. The Bible says in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, of all the commandments, uh, Jesus was asked, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. So that's the very first commandment, is that if I'm living the Jesus life, I'm going to have love for God, not just a belief in God. That's important. I'm not going to just talk about God. I'm going to have love for God if I'm living the Jesus life. We'll talk about that later. The second thing that we should look at in regard to love is the Bible tells us that we are to love our neighbor. This is Jesus right after that. He said the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So that's the same kind of statement that we saw Jesus make in the Gospel of Matthew. The first week we talked about love. Jesus is saying everything, all the law of God, all the commandments of God, come down to loving the Lord your God with everything you have, and your neighbor as yourself. You know, uh, tonight, I think it's good for us to just think about who our neighbor is. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, the guy who didn't want to love people who weren't like him? He was a racist. We learned that in, in really as Jesus unpacks the story. And so Jesus was talking to him about this. The guy was a lawyer, so he was, trying to, he was trying to negotiate with Jesus. And he basically said, well, okay, if I have to love my neighbor, just who qualifies to be my neighbor? And it was to that question that Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. It's interesting that the word neighbor in Greek there means people who come near. Your neighbor is anyone who comes into your life. Who am I talking to here tonight that you've had people come into your life? And again, I always want to make the disclaimer. I'm not talking about an abuser or someone who's violent or anything like that. I'm I'm just talking about in a general sense. How many of us have people who come into our lives and we're like, why do those people come into my life? You know, you you ever get the feeling that the craziest people in the world just come straight to you, right? It's like they make a beeline. I had a friend tell me they'll come all the way across town just to talk to me. Well, have we ever stopped to consider that maybe God brings those people into our lives because he wants us to love them? You know, God doesn't just call us to love lovely people. In fact, Jesus talked about that. He said, if you're good to people who are good to you, Jesus said, pagans do that. Atheists do that. I mean, we are the, we, we've already sung and talked about, we are the blood-bought family of God. We are the people whom Jesus Christ has moved in through his Holy Spirit to live in us. If we only love people who love us, Jesus said the atheists do that. If we only love the beautiful people, hey, the world does that. What about loving those that aren't so lovely, but just people who come into our sphere? I know I'm tempted just like you to do everything I can to get away as fast as I can. But the Bible tells us we are to love our neighbors. That means those who come near. And then, of course, love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes I think loving other Christians is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I don't mean every Christian. I just mean some, right? You know, for some reason, sometimes God's children can be some of the least pleasant people. And yet the Bible tells us that we're to love each other. In John 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then we've talked about this several times. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have the fish on your bumper sticker. 
By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you vote Republican. Are you kidding me? No. No. A million times no. I'm telling you as a, as a, as a God-called servant, what I'm terrified by in this 21st century is that our churches are populated by people that have a caricature of the Christian faith. I don't know what it is, but it's not the Jesus life. There's something toxic about it. And the Bible is teaching us here that if we love God and love people and love each other, then the world will know that we're his disciples. Now, they may love us or hate us, but the one thing they'll know is they'll know we belong to Jesus. Do people know you belong to Jesus tonight? Do people look at you and say, boy, there's something different about her. She reminds me of what I've heard about Jesus. You ever know anybody like that? I mean, I, and prayerfully, I'm praying that all of us are living that life, but have you ever known somebody that you just being around them, you almost got a sense of what Jesus was like? I've had some dear, dear friends at New Spring in the last 33 years almost. And my, as I look about just the time I spent with them, I, I think, whoa, I, I, it was almost, it wasn't Jesus, but it was pretty close. It was like I had some time with Jesus. Most of you, I don't know if anybody would know this name other than just a handful of people who've been here a long time. Bob Underwood, he was chairman of the board when I came here. I never knew a godlier man in my life. Bob was an electrician, just a blue-collar guy. And I don't know how many times he'd call me up. My goodness, I wasn't even 30 yet. He'd call me up and he'd say, Pastor Mark, he said, I've been talking to somebody I'm doing work for. And he said, I believe if you would talk to him, he said, they're so close. I believe if you go over and talk to him with me, they would accept Christ. And a lot of times they would. But I promise you, I wasn't a tenth of the soul winner that Bob was. When I had his funeral, I said, if Bob had led, if he led, if he led you to Christ, would you stand up? And a hundred people stood up. I'm just thinking about people here in this body that I've been around. And it's like you just almost felt like you were in the presence of Jesus. Why? Because by this shall all men know that you, you belong to Jesus. If you're in love with people and in love with God and in love with your brothers and sisters in Christ... I've been pressured through the years to write by publishers and agents and all this kind of stuff, but I have ADD and I can't sit still long enough to write. And Mary Alice, Lord knows Mary Alice has tried to talk, talk me into writing. When I, when I die, and I hope that's a long time from now, but I'm probably going <laughs> to, the one thing that's probably gone furthest and widest that I've ever written was a set of vows. Back in the year 2004, when again our church was much smaller, we averaged about 1,200, we could do this. I was doing a message on marriage, and so I encouraged everybody if they could still get into their tux and their wedding dress, you know, couples, and just that I said, you know, wear, wear your wedding clothes or just whatever you want to wear. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you wear, wear tux and a wedding dress or sandals and flip flops, but it just. You know, we, we want you to, we want to celebrate marriage. And so we invited all the couples who wanted to renew their vows to come up on stage and on the way, and then we'd ask people if they wanted to submit wedding photos, they could. And so on the way up, there were wedding photos uh, cycling on the iMag. And then 
everybody came up on stage and I renewed the vows and then everybody went back downstairs and as they were going back down the stairs and getting back the seats, our wonderful tech team had harvested shots of couples up here renewing their vows and those were up on screen. It was a wonderful day. We had a great time. I'm so thankful our church is as big as it is, but sometimes we don't get to do the things like that that we used to do. But as I got ready for that service, I thought, I don't, I don't want to just do the standard vows. And so I still remember where I was in my basement as I just thought, wonder what vows would look like, wonder what wedding vows would look like if they were based on 1 Corinthians 13. And the first week of love, we talked about what love is, 1 Corinthians 13. So I thought, what if I just wrote vows based on 1 Corinthians 13? And I had them for that service, but my, they've gone all over the world since then. You want to know what they say? And the reason why I read them to you tonight is I don't want to read them to you in the sense of wedding vows. I want you to know what love looks like and sounds like according to the Bible. Here are the vows that I wrote. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past faults against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love for you will never end. If you want to know what the Jesus life is, there it is. And not just about a couple standing in front of me saying vows or some other minister. This is what we should say to every person in our lives. By the grace of God's Holy Spirit, I will be patient and kind to you. Because I love you, I won't demand my own way or hold past thoughts against you. I will be loyal to you, always faithful from my heart. I will always believe the best about you. I will always defend you. My love will not quit. See how different that is from the world, the world's kind of love? Well, tonight, real quickly, and I wanted this message to be practical, and I have about another 10 or 12 minutes, so I want to make, the, make these moments count. I, I wanted to make sure that I've been practical with you. You've heard a little bit about the definition of love and the vows that I just read, but I want to share with you two things you can do according to the Scripture. If you decide, Mark, I really, not, not leave me out of this, just I want to live the Jesus life, and I want to live a life of love. I want to call you to a couple of statements of Jesus. And so if you just want to like keep these on a card or keep them on a, a, on a note that you have on an electronic device, but just remind yourself of the two things that the Bible teaches us that are just practical ways of loving people. Here's the first one. This is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So somebody will say, well, Mark, I didn't see love in there. Wait a minute. Do you remember what Jesus said about loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself? He said, all the commandments hang on those two commandments. Now, look at what he says here one more time. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So consequently, if this is everything that is taught in the law, and we know already that loving God and loving people is the essence of everything taught in the law, then doing to others what we would like to do, doing to others what we would want them to do to us must be a definition of love. What do you want people to say about you? Then those are the things that we're to say about people. Do you, want, do you want people to be sarcastic? 
Do you want people to rip you? You want people to talk behind your back? Who, who wants people to talk behind their back? Then why would we do that to somebody else? Love talks about people the way we want to be talked about. It, it, it treats people the way that we would want to be treated. It, it, is, it gives people second chances the way we would want people to give us second chances. Real quickly, and I, I don't want to belabor this because it's so obvious, but I, I wrote this down in my notes. Others is the recipient. You are the measurement. In other words, if we, if we think about what we want to have happen in our lives in regard to the way people feel about us and treat us, that's the measurement. Others are the recipient of this. And then the second statement that Jesus makes that I think is just, these, these two statements I believe will help you a long way. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, Jesus said, and whoever makes you go one mile, go with him too. Now to me, this first statement just basically says the basic, the basic Christian life. If you just want the basic package, you know when you, buy to go, you go to buy a car, they have the basic package, and then they want to upsell you to the better packages. So the basic package is treating people the way we want to be treated. But now Jesus is going to go to the upsell here and talk to us about even a higher form of love. He said, if anybody compels you to go with them a mile, go with them too. Well, that means probably nothing to us in our Western culture today. But what you have to understand is during the time that Jesus wrote this, Rome ruled the world. And the Jewish people were captives just like most of the, the civilized world was. And so Rome had their garrisons. They had their soldiers there in every, pretty, pretty much every place. And certainly the soldiers were in, in Jerusalem, Judea. And there was a law. That said that if a Roman soldier came upon a place, upon a house, and there was a young man there who lived in the house, a boy, that a Roman soldier could, by law, compel the boy to carry his gear one mile. Now, I'm sure nobody liked being captured by the Romans, but the Jews especially hated it because they were, they were a very proud people. They were a people that believed in one God, and the Romans were polytheists, and they, they viewed the Romans as debauched, as in many cases they were. So consequently, when a Roman soldier would say to a Jewish boy, I want you to carry my gear, it would be like being a beast of burden, and it, they, they would grind under that law. In fact... Josephus and other historians tell us that Jewish families tended to mark off one mile in distance from their house in every direction. They would put a white peg down. And, not, you know, and basically what that pegs, every time that hammer hit that peg, it was no further, no further, no further, no further. I mean... Can you see how this would work? I mean, here's a Roman soldier. He walks up to a kid out in the front yard, and he says to the kid, hey, boy, come here. You know the law. you got to carry my pack. And so can you just sort of see this in your head, you know? Here's this Roman soldier. He's strutting. He has no time for this kid. He's just a, he's nothing to him. And the kid is glaring behind his back all the time. And, you know, you just see him. He's, he's slow walking. He's dragging his feet, you know, and soldiers saying, hurry up. And it's, you know, it's you just feel the tension there, racial tension and class tension and cultural tension and religious tension. Then it gets worse and it gets worse. And finally they get to the white peg and the boy slings the gear off and throws it there at the white peg and says, I don't have to go one inch further. Now, when Jesus made this comment, that was the world he was talking to. 
Can you imagine how he freaked everybody out when he said, hey, if anybody compels you to go with them a mile, go too. Well, you know, after what I've told you, even we good American Christians are kind of like thinking, are you kidding me? But can you imagine what it would have looked like if that happened? I mean, here's a soldier, and he comes to another place, and there's a kid out there in the front yard, and the soldier says, hey, boy, come here and carry my pack. But this boy's been with Jesus. He's heard Jesus teach. I don't know. He might have been the kid with the five loaves and the three, two fishes, you know? So he says, yes, sir. And he puts the gear on his back, and he begins to walk briskly. and says, hey, Tim, you know, tell me what life is like in Rome. You know, how, what made you want to be a soldier? Well, how do you feel about living here in Judea? What's different about Judea than Rome? So they're just talking, and finally they get to that white peg, and the kid keeps on going, and the soldier says, son, hey, listen, you know what? You really don't have to go any further. You know the law. You only have to carry that pack one mile, and we passed your white peg back there about 30 yards ago. And the boy says, you know what, sir? I've had such a good time talking to you. You know, I think I'll just carry your pack another mile. You ready, New Spring? That's the mile he gets to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I'm human. There are people that I feel like, you know what? I'm going <laughs> I'm to do what I have to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go all the way to my white peg. It's my duty. It's my responsibility. But love says, let's go a little further. You know what? There, I, I, can, I can put up with a little more. I, I, can, I can forgive a little more. I, I don't have to throw back that insult. I don't have to be sarcastic because she was sarcastic. I don't have to be unforgiving because that's how I was brought up. I'm just telling you, if you want to love, those are the two things. I mean, you can just, I mean, my goodness, that's, if you're ADD like me, that's not that hard. Put them on a three-by-five car. Just take them with you. The way I want to be treated, that's how I'm going to treat everybody. And you know what? That's just the basic package. I'm going to upsell this thing, and I'm going to go to the next level, and I'm going to say, if I have to go a mile, I'm going to go two. I'm going to go beyond. Ooh, that, that beyond life is the Jesus life. That's where life starts becoming meaningful. Well, I, I got just two or three minutes here. I got to give this to you real quick. Okay, um, here's the thing. Somebody could say, well, Mark, how do I get there from here, you know? How do I get to living that life from where I am? And many of us would have to be honest and say, the, place where, the first question I ask you, now, the, the place where I am, I didn't follow Jesus here. I might have followed America here. I might have followed the Republicans here. I might have followed CNN here. I might have followed Fox News here. I might have followed TMZ here. I might have followed ESPN here. I don't know, but I, I'm, where I am tonight is not, I didn't get here following Jesus. Well, the good news that I have for every one of us here tonight is that every problem that you have Love solves. I don't counsel anymore, but in all these years of pastoring, I've talked to a lot of people. And I, I've, I've sort of like looked at what are the, the statements that people have made to me. And I'm, there are a lot of times that there are similar statements, but I'll, they sort of revolve around these four or five statements. 
The first statement is, I love myself, but I don't like myself very much. A lot of people say that. I think we all feel that sometimes. The reason we don't like ourselves very much is selfishness. A person who is love, doing for people what they want people to do for them, the person who's going the second mile, they don't have any problem liking themselves. See, the thing about love is that love causes us to like ourselves. We're in a world today, I was just reading an article about how the millennials, some millennials are getting deeply in debt because they're trying to like have this great Instagram image. Thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And there's a feeling today that the more I get them, maybe I will like myself, but that's not the way to it. In fact, the Bible tells us if you want to like yourself, then love. There's something about sacrificing, isn't it, that you like the way you feel? Is it because when we sacrifice and give to others, we see a little bit of Jesus in ourselves? Is it that when we love and sacrifice that we begin to get a glimpse of what our life was always supposed to be? The second statement that people make, and I'm not even going to go into this because I covered it Sunday and Saturday night if you were here, and that is the drama is killing me. Just, I'm, I'm dealing with so much tension created by fear and insecurity. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, the Bible says there is no fear in love. You know, I, I think about watching. You, you ever see, you ever see a, a, a kid that's kind of like up on a high place, and, and you know, he's two or three years old, and his dad says, jump. Do you ever see that kid jump? I mean, it's like he believes he can fly. Why, why, and you ever see the joy on his face or her face when that happens? Because they know that dad loves them. Dad's not going to drop them. And that's what the Bible is telling us. We don't have to worry about the drama, the fear, because fear is the bouncer for love. We talked about that last weekend. And then sometimes the third statement that people have is the statement that says, I feel like I'm being shut out. Now, this is probably one of the biggest reasons why people would come and talk to me back in the day when I counsel. It's like, Mark, I love somebody, but they won't listen to me, and they're shutting me out. Guys, listen to me. Love can get in when everything else is shut out. You know, people sometimes, Mark, I just don't know, what can I do for my kids? They won't, they won't talk to me. They won't listen to me. You can love them. Mark, I just can't get through to this person. What do I do? You can love them. Because you can't always look, talk to them. They won't always listen to you, but you can always love them. And then sometimes the fourth statement that people make to me is that people let me down. Do you know love focuses on loving people, not on what people do for us? I don't know. I don't have time to get here tonight. I really have a couple more things I want to say to you, but um, I think about my dad a lot. Uh, my dad pastored the same church in Texas for 50 years nearly, and then he came up here as our care pastor for 13 years. He's a great man. But I remember um, when I was 16, in those days, I had the deacons of the church had asked if I would lead worship, lead the choir, lead the instruments. Just, I was 15 when I started. It's crazy, isn't it? But I led the choir and led music, and we were on the radio live on the biggest rock and roll station in Dallas in those days. That's interesting. I've got some stories to tell you on that someday. But um, anyway, God was blessing. Church was growing. And Satan will fight. You know, it wasn't a big church. It was probably about 175, 200 people. But I remember that there were a couple of families in the church that got 
at cross purposes with each other. And it caused what we used to call the old days a church split. People pick sides, you know. And I remember that we, we had people that had been with my dad, in some cases for 25 years, that left. People that we had vacationed with, people who had been in our homes, people that my dad had ministered to, stayed in the hospitals all night, ministered to their families. I mean, these are, these are people that, they were like family to me. They were like aunts and uncles. They were closer than aunts and uncles. And, and they left, and some of them not only left, but they left ugly. And I think part of it was, between you and me, we were more and more an inner city church, and some of them were just looking at more upscale places to go to church. But I watched my dad. I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. It had been pretty placid all the years I'd been growing up. And here I am standing up leading worship and I'm looking out on this church that's going through all this turmoil. Do you know what my dad did at that moment? He started a series. That was the first series I think I ever saw in my life. And he did it on a Wednesday night. And he started teaching 1 Corinthians 13. And he went through every line. I mean, I don't think the series lasted about 20 weeks. He went every line through 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, it was a small church. People would even stand up and my dad would encourage them to to quote and memorize 1 Corinthians 13. And I'll never forget that. And it shaped my life and I think it shaped my ministry a lot. I watched my dad after he'd been knifed in the back over and over and over by the people he'd given his life to. And instead of standing up and yelling and being vindictive, he stood up for 22 weeks and talked about love. For all of us who are completely focusing on what people have done to us, maybe it's time to let that go. And as Jesus followers, think instead about what we can do for others. The last one, and I'll just give it to you real quickly. Sometimes people would say to me, I don't know if I'm handling things right. Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John three nineteen, if we love, our hearts are set at peace. Because we always, here's the thing, if you don't know what to do, just love, and you'll always do the right thing. Okay, I'm two minutes over time. God is teaching me so much, and I'm just trying to share with you what God is working through in my life. Can, can, can I have like two more minutes, please? What I'm going to say to you is, is really important, just huge. I don't even know if I'll ever say anything more important to Christ followers. If you ask me, Mark, what is your biggest spiritual problem? By the grace of God, I've always been faithful to my wife. It's not that. I was very fortunate to have good parents who not only taught me, but scared me to death. (laughs) My, my, My dad used to preach at a rescue mission downtown Fort Worth, a very violent part of town. Every week, every, every summer for t- two weeks, every year, scared the fool out of me, seven, eight years old. I never did want to drink. And my dad used to take me to the cancer wards. You know, they, unfortunately, they gave cigarettes to our soldiers in World War II. My dad would take me to the VA hospital in Dallas, and, and I would see so many men that cancer had eaten away a big part of their face. I never wanted to smoke. It was not a problem. And dad never taught me much about it. He just showed me things, and... I made up my mind. So just a whole lot of stuff that, you know, I'm not greedy. I'm not a high roller. But if you back me into a corner, and just being real tonight, and Mary Alice knows this is true. I talked to her about it a lot through the years. 
if you said, Mark, what is your biggest spiritual problem? I would tell you, I'm ashamed that I don't love God more. You, you don't know. And Mary Alice would know. To me, that is a scandal. You know, we hear about Christian leaders in scandal. Thankfully, God has kept me from those that make the newspaper. But to me, when I look at my life, and as good as God has been to me, I want to love God more. Now, here's what God is showing me as I've worked in 1 John so much. Sometimes I think we, we push ourselves too hard to work that love up. But that's not what the Bible says. Look at this. This is in the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 4. and We were there last, last weekend. Look at this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life for him, through him. Look at this. This is real love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Do you realize nobody loves God naturally? There is no way that you can go home and just work up love. We do not shine. We're, we're like the moon. We do not shine light. We reflect light. And the Bible says here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us. And he showed us that love by sending his son to be the satisfaction for our sins. And what God is teaching me is that if I want to grow in love for him, which I do desperately, then what I need to do is to focus on his love for me. And the more I focus on his love for me, then that love begins to flow through me. And it gets to be a bigger river and a wider channel than it used to be. Listen to me, guys. I'm 61 years old. I started preaching when I was 16. If I could start over, I've just, God has talked about this to me as I've worked in this series. I don't believe I would preach a sermon without emphasizing God's love for us and what Christ has done for us. May we never get tired of hearing how much God loves us because it is through focusing on his love for us that we grow in our love for him. And the more we love him, the more we're able to love difficult people. Thank you for, I'm sorry for going into overtime. God bless. Good night.